I'm Dave Breckenridge, and you're listening to 10-3. As the trial for Sinaloa cartel kingpin Joaquin El Chapo Guzman kicks off in Brooklyn, the National Post has uncovered the story of a Canadian working as a cocaine smuggler in El Chapo's operation. Mikhailo Koretsky, also known as Russian Mike and Cobra, was picked up earlier this year in the Dutch territory of Curaçao on a 2014 U.S. indictment. We look at what authorities claim Koretsky is alleged to have done for El Chapo's drug empire, his fight against extradition to the U.S., and update the situation around Guzman's trial. It's Thursday, November 8th. Before we dive into our interview today, I'm hoping you can help our show out. Just a couple of small requests. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, tell your friends about the show, and leave a review. I take all your feedback to heart. And now, back to the story of Russian Mike. Brian Fitzpatrick is a journalist with the National Post. So, Brian, how did we first learn about Mikhailo Koretsky? Um, thanks for having me, Dave. Um, initial reports uh, started trickling out about the case uh, involving him around April time. But there wasn't a whole lot of, of information to be had, basically just that he was a uh, a Ukrainian-Canadian citizen uh, who had been detained in Curaçao in, uh, in January. Um, but, but, but all that was kind of emerging was the very basics around uh, the fact that he had been um, indicted on a cocaine importation conspiracy and was wanted uh, to be extradited to the United States um, and that the case had kind of stalled um, until they decided next steps. Now, how did he wind up in custody? He was basically hauled into custody as soon as he arrived in Curaçao, January 3rd, on a Air Canada flight from Toronto. There had been a, a, an Interpol, a so-called red notice warning put out for him. Um, so as soon as basically as he hopped off the plane down there, he was, by, by accounts, uh, put straight into custody on the advice of Interpol. And then within a few days, uh, an indictment against him uh, that had been actually in existence since 2014 was then unsealed, and uh, the kind of the charges against him were, were laid out. So these are charges in the U.S. as part of a, a broader drug trafficking operation, right? Yeah, uh, the indictment itself is very, very basic. It doesn't mention uh, anyone by name apart from he himself, but it's actually in the order to unseal the indictment. There's mention of uh, El Chapo Guzman, obviously, whose trial start has started in Brooklyn already. So for people who may not be familiar, who is El Chapo Guzman? Uh, El Chapo basically, I suppose, is the heir apparent to Pablo Escobar. Basically, as Escobar was killed in Colombia in 1993, El Chapo's rise was only beginning. Um, 2001, he had his first major prison break. Went on to, you know, enjoy kind of about a decade of of supremacy. 2014, he was recaptured again. and, and and probably had his most famous escape was, was 2015 via a tunnel system and, and was recaptured in a, a place called Los Mochis in 2016 and then subsequently extradited to the US. But in terms of who who he is or, or, or what he stands for, I suppose he can safely be described as the biggest drug lord in, in existence today. And so this is, Koretsky's arrest is tied to uh, the El Chapo investigation, it's alleged that he was shipping cocaine for Guzman? Uh, it's not actually outlined in the indictment against him. As I said, uh, El Chapo is mentioned in the subject line of the indictments 
2018 unsealing. Um, okay. But I, ha- I have it from, from sources who have been briefed on the matter that Koretsky, yes, is in fact suspected of, uh, shall we say, multi-hundred kilogram uh, shipments of cocaine from Canada into the US on behalf of Guzman and, and others. The indictment lays out a period between 2008 and 2014. But as I said, it doesn't mention Guzman by name. But yes, I, I have it uh, from a fairly uh, reliable standpoint that, that the person involved who Koretsky is alleged to have been working with is Guzman. And so you were saying that cocaine is coming from into Canada and then being brought into the U.S.? Is that correct? Uh, yes. Well, well, 90% of the cocaine that uh, would make its way to North America originates in, in Colombia. Um, mm-hmm. From there, it's, it's, it's taken north kind of towards Central America by all sorts of means, uh, submarines, semi-submersibles. Um, there's all sorts of ways that they, they get it to points north. Uh, from there, basically, yes, it would make its way to, to Mexico and then across the border in various fashions. I mean, it's taken in airplanes, freight trains, cargo trucks, uh, you name it. They have any way of, of getting it across tunnels. Um, but yes, in Koretsky's case, he in particular is suspected of taking it from Canada to the U.S., uh, by using cargo trucks. Okay, and just kind of sneaking it across the border in in uh, containers or or things of that nature. Uh, yeah, I, I understand it's uh, it's cargo trucks or or commercial vehicles. Okay, now you said earlier that the indictment was issued way back in 2014, but he wasn't taken into custody until this year. Have you been able to uncover any reason why? It's taken so many years to lead to his arrest? No, I haven't been able to, to, to quite get to the bottom of, of exactly why, but there are four years of, of a period when nothing much seems to have happened in his case. Um, as I said, the indictment was only unsealed two or three days after his arrest in Curacao. Mm-hmm. Authorities in Canada, um, Toronto Police, Vancouver Police, uh, RCMP, Global Affairs Canada, none of them seem to have any information with regard to his uh you know, to his activities over the past few years, they've all said that he hasn't come to their attention. Global Affairs have said that they have no record of any Canadian detained in Curacao. Um, but but he is down there. He is fighting his extradition. And, and, and you know, he has actually employed the same lawyer as El Chapo, uh, a person called Jeffrey Lickman, who's based um, in New York and is currently, you know, busy defending uh, Guzman. But he's also Koretsky's lawyer, according to court documents. Lickman himself wouldn't be drawn on the Koretsky case, although I did get a chance to chat to him about El Chapo. Um, but 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 he uh, kind of shut me down with regard to the Koretsky case. Okay. And you were saying that El Chapo's uh, jury selection for his trial is going on right now in uh, New York. Does the arrest earlier this year of Koretsky... Uh, potentially have anything to do with the trial? Are they, could authorities be looking t- at him as a potential uh, witness or a resource uh, for evidence against El Chapo? Uh, not that I know of in terms of, of an actual witness. Um, his case more than likely won't be dealt with for, for a number of, uh, of months. Um, sources tell me that it, it tends to take about nine months and, and um, Curacao only accepted the US's extradition request in May so I think he might be down there for another while so he probably won't be involved in any in any shape with the, the Guzman case. In terms of actual witnesses I mean it looks by by all accounts the 
the defense has said that there's 330,000 odd pages of um, discovery in the case. There's supposed to be thousands of uh, taped telephone conversations, all of which kind of, you know, would indicate a fairly heavily stacked case against Guzman. So in terms of, of witnesses, no, I think Koretsky for the moment is down as, as more of an alleged co-conspirator. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of witnesses themselves, it looks like the uh, the prosecution have any number of uh, of witnesses lined up. Uh, estimates kind of up up into the forties uh, have been kind of floated around in recent days. We'll be right back. The National Post launched twenty years ago to be a distinctive and surprising voice in the media landscape. Though much has changed over the past two decades, what hasn't is the core appeal of a paper dedicated to conservative values, interesting voices, unique perspectives, and a sense of fun. Check out what you've been missing. Get 20% off a one-year subscription to the National Post with promo code HAPPY20. That's HAPPY20. And you, you said that he's fighting extradition to the United States. What's the process there? Well, Curaçao, um, being a, a Dutch territory um, in the in the Caribbean there, just off Venezuela, um, they have obviously got a, a, an extradition you know process in place with the U.S. So so the process would basically be that Koretsky would be at present he's attempting to avoid extradition to the U.S. by appealing to the Netherlands Supreme Court, um, which obviously would have jurisdiction over Curaçao. Um, so I'm told, as I said, that that process can take about nine months from start to finish um, to exhaust uh, appeals and things like that. Uh, but it does look like he's uh, he's fighting it uh, you know, every, every way he can at the moment. Mm-hmm. Now, looking at this a little more broadly, people don't necessarily think of Canada as an importation route for drugs into the United States. I think the average Canadian would probably think, okay, the the drug cartels are moving drugs up through Central America and Mexico into the U.S. and then it's coming into Canada. What do you think this case says, the case of uh, Koretsky, um, says about the reach of the cartels into places like Canada and the U.S.? Yeah, I, I mean, for me, it's, it's probably a, an overlooked, area basically i chatted a good bit this week with with an expert from the university of san diego david shirk and you know the way he put it was that major companies like coca-colas or your pepsis they'll look for any way they can to get the product to market so things will be very very centralized uh, at the at the mexican level you know because you have to keep a, a tight ship uh, when they've taken delivery of, of whatever they're drugs they're shipping from Colombia down there. But once it gets to the United States, they're using any and any and all players kind of at their disposal. And of course, Canada being just, just to the north, it's 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 a pretty viable market and, and so it it's it's fairly apparent and it would kind of stand to reason that they're they're looking to exploit this one case that really uh kind of illustrates this and, and it's been floated that they may actually appear as witnesses in the El Chapo cases. There there were two twin brothers, Pedro and Margarito Flores in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And they had operated a, a huge cocaine and, and uh, heroin smuggling operation since, well, since the late 90s, but specifically since 2005, they have been dealing with El Chapo's uh, Sinaloa cartel and also a cartel called the Beltran Leva operation. And, and in court documents uh, 
filed in their case, they, they cooperated with the authorities for, for reduced sentences, and they outlined a huge operation that involved, you know, a multitude of players, uh, 30 wholesalers across major U.S. cities, uh, uh, one of which was a major wholesaler that they were working with in Vancouver. So there's kind of no doubt about about the um, the reach that the cartels have. A lot of people might think that it stops in the U.S., but uh, in fact, they're they're dealing with people, or at least their their proxies are dealing with people. You know, as far as the major Canadian cities, is absolutely no doubt, and absolutely no doubt that it's on a huge scale as well. You know. Now we mentioned uh, you just mentioned heroin there. Uh, Russian Mike is uh, alleged to have been involved in cocaine smuggling. What is it that they have their hands in these cartels? Um, in terms of when you ask me, what is it they have in, in terms of drugs? Is it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's it, it's everything. It, the obvious ones and and the kind of you know the most. If you were looking to say the traditional market would have initially started with marijuana, then cocaine, um, obviously heroin, um, and majorly in recent years, it's kind of moved on to things like uh, methamphetamine and other sorts of, of uh, what they say, high margin drugs that are kind of even even more high margin than, than what they've been doing to date. But uh, yeah, they've been diversifying into, into all sorts. So heroin, cocaine, um, but, you know, more so uh, in recent times, your, your, your methamphetamines, that type of stuff. So, looking back to the trial of El Chapo Guzman in New York, obviously this is a guy with uh, a history of escaping. This is a guy who over allegedly oversaw a drug cartel with uh, a history of violence. Um, what are they doing in regards to security around the trial? As I imagine, it has to be uh, more than your average uh, court case in Brooklyn. Yeah, it's definitely more than your average court case uh, anywhere on earth. Um, I suppose that the security aspect of it is kind of it, it's threefold. Basically, it's 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 around the security of Guzman himself. Um, it's around the security of the the jury, and and it's also kind of based around the security of anybody who might kind of dare to uh, to testify against him. Mm-hmm. Reports in recent weeks have, have said that you, you know every time he he makes it. Uh, a, a trip into one of his pre-trial hearings, or he had made a trip, um, that they had to close down the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, so I think they've had to have a, a, another look at that to see if there was any more, um, you know, kind of less cumbersome way they could do things because obviously they're trying to take every precaution that they can to make sure that nothing goes wrong. They feel like they have one good shot at, at, at this indictment they've laid out in front of him and they're just trying to nail down everything possible um, in terms of his security. Um, I chatted to his lawyer, as I said there, during the week, um, Jeffrey Lickman, and he has complained kind of since this whole process has begun that El Chapo's conditions at the Metropolitan Correction Center there in in Manhattan are, are, are you know, like something out of, of Guantanamo Bay is kind of, the, the you know, the way he's been he's been putting it. But I suppose authorities there, they're just not willing to take any, any sort of a risk given mm-hmm. that this is a, a man with, you know, much, you know, you know, chronicled history of, high-profile escapes, even though they are in the U.S. I mean, I suppose the way they're looking at it is that anything is possible. In terms of the jury, again, it, it, it's been a nightmare scenario that, I mean, first off, how can they, you know, nail down a jury uh, that hasn't heard of El Chapo or, or find themselves in some way biased? And then I suppose secondfold, how can they keep them safe? Uh, so the jury itself will be uh, kept completely anonymous once selected. 
Um, but obviously, I, I mean, you can imagine they're, they're, they're trying to, you know, make their way through potential candidates o- over the next few days, and, and it's going to be a nightmare. Um, the witnesses then is the third part of it, and that's the same type of thing. There's talk that some of the witnesses might be able to uh, testify in anonymity, um, and, and as I said, that all kind of remains to be revealed exactly who will take the stand against him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- th- there's a, there's any number of people who who are possibles, but it, exactly who might be be willing a, a, and and able, I suppose, will 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 you know be a, quite another thing. Now that's that seems like a, a great deal of security. Obviously, for someone who's escaped prison. Uh, in such a high-profile manner, you want to make sure that he's not able to get out. Are they also concerned that that if he pops his head up, so to speak, either at the courthouse or being transported, that, that rivals could want to take him out, could want to have a plot against him? Um, I, I'd say not so much as rivals. I'd say just uh, his own reputation being such that uh, he he has managed the impossible on on mm-hmm. two occasions before I, I suppose the 2001 escape when when he escaped went to grande some people say it was in a laundry cart other people said he was simply handed a you know a, a free walk out of there by his uh, friends in high places um, his other escape mm-hmm. was via a tunnel in 2015 so yeah i'd say they're more just worried about what his organization is possible of rather than his enemies i mean the sinaloa cartel they have been you know, doing battle in recent years, especially since El Chapo has been off the scene with uh, uh, the Jalisco cartel, the new generation cartel, they call themselves, led by a fella called El Mencho. Um, but, the, you know, El Mencho himself, he might be the the main villain in Mexico at the moment, but they haven't gained outright supremacy and the Sinaloa cartel remain extremely, extremely powerful. So I suppose the U.S. authorities, they just don't want to take any chance whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And as far as the jury goes, how would how would they manage a anonymous jury? Would they be sitting in the courtroom behind a screen? How does that work? I'm not 100% how it would actually work inside the courthouse itself, but from what I can see is they'll be taking extreme precautions in terms of how they transport them from their homes uh, to the courthouse day by day. Um, in terms of actually how it might work inside the courthouse, I suppose that remains to be seen, and they'll have their own types of... Uh, types of precautions that they that I'm sure they've been through before with with different cases uh, in the states but uh, you know in terms of how it will actually work on the day I, I couldn't be sure I mean mm. in terms of you know the fear factor is one thing uh, how do you find people who haven't heard of El Chapo and then how do you find people who can take the four months off work that this trial might take wow. uh, for <laughs> you know the, the guts of 40 bucks a day I mean you know, it's not attractive to 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 any juror uh, for a whole number of reasons, I suppose. You know, well, it's a fascinating story and definitely a trial that'll be watched closely by people across North America. Brian, thanks very much for your time. Thanks for having me, Dave. Here's what else is happening: a longtime conservative MP has been bounced from caucus over a sexting scandal. Tony Clement, who's been a prominent Conservative Party of Canada member and former cabinet minister, was asked to leave caucus Wednesday by leader Andrew Scheer. Clement had initially admitted to sending explicit images and video to an individual online in what he said led to an extortion attempt. But Scheer said he took the step to ask Clement to leave caucus after, quote, numerous reports of other incidents, allegations, end quote. 10-3 is produced by Carson Jarama and edited by Carrie Ann Sprawl. 
Technical support this episode from Monica Warzeka and John Richardson in Toronto. Special thanks to Brian Fitzpatrick. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.